Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. There are times in your life uh, where you will be forced into a corner that you cannot get out of on your own. Times where you are going to be hemmed in on all sides and it's going to seem like there is no way out. Times that try your soul, circumstances beyond your control, you eventually, if you haven't, you're going to take a hit somewhere, a major hit to your finances, to your health, to a relationship in your life. A relationship's going to go awry. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a kid walking away from the Lord. Maybe there is some sort of accusation against you. You can't control. Maybe It's just whatever it is, there are going to be things that come into your life that you cannot fix on your own, in your own power. Battles that you cannot win on your own. There's a lot of battles in this life that the Lord expects us to take up his armor and fight. But there's a lot of battles too, uh, some battles that you cannot fight, that you cannot have any hope of winning in your own power. We don't like to hear that, though. But these times hit sometimes like dominoes. Okay, It's not just one hit. It's hit after hit after hit, back to back to back like dominoes. First goes your health. Then goes your finances. Then goes that relationship. Boom, boom. Boom, and it all comes to crashing down, right? One right after another. And we might refer to these crippling situations as precarious predicaments. Okay, Such uh, predicaments have been defined as unpleasantly difficult or perplexing, um, exposed, being exposed to constant risk, uh, a situation in which a favorable outcome is impossible, and uh, you are bound to lose whatever you do. That's the definition of a precarious predicament. Bound to lose no matter what you do. It's those kinds of situations where you reach the end of yourself, your own ingenuity, your own cleverness. And when you reach the end of yourself, you quit looking to yourself. You're going to start to look elsewhere. And because you quit looking to yourself, you're going to look elsewhere. You're going to look to other people. You're going to look to other things. But where you do look for help to who or what you look to is going to be a major factor in your deliverance from that situation. 
So uh, that's sort of what we're going to talk about this morning, right? Real cheerful, I know. But um, honestly, um, if you find yourself in a situation this morning that we might that might be described as a precarious predicament, I think that Exodus 13 and 14 is going to be a huge um, comfort for you, a profound comfort. So that's what we're going to talk about as we study the life of Moses. Last week, um, we covered the, the warning to Pharaoh that he was going to get swallowed up, right? And uh, the ten plagues of the Exodus, the, the Bible calls these miracles, signs, and wonders, Instead of plagues, it calls them signs and wonders. And today we come to the, the final and climactic miracle or sign that results in judgment for the Egyptians and redemption for the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel. Um, this is going to be the last uh, battle between Egypt and Yahweh in this dramatic duel that we've been studying. And um, I've also Uh, decided to use the Legacy Standard Bible translation today. Um, It's a newer uh, translation that advances really the aim of the the New American Standard Bible, which was uh, to bring out the literal qualities of the original text. Um, I'm honestly still waiting for the prices to come down so I can get a copy of this uh, translation because I like it, but uh, it's just really pricey right now. But um, I like it, and I want to use it today because it translates... The, the Tetragrammaton, right, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, as Yahweh in the Bible, right? So some of your translations everywhere, it says Lord in capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. That's that name for God, the specific name for God. And we've learned as we've studied the book of Exodus that that name matters, doesn't it? It means something. It's the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush when he said, I am who I am, right? Yahweh means I'm the present one, always present Always active, always has been, always is, always will be. Uh, It's the covenant name for God, that he's the personal covenant-keeping God. He's all-powerful. Because he's all-powerful, he cannot not keep his promises. Um, It's it's that name for God that says, I am the creator and sustainer of everything. I just am. And so um, think about that as we read this morning, and then also think about uh, the, the words look and see. Right? Where are people looking? What are they seeing? Um, where do you look when you're in a precarious predicament? But let's look at uh, chapter 13 and finish up the rest of that, that chapter real briefly. Uh, 13 through 22 says, Now it happened that when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not guide them by way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. And hence, God turned the people to the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the sons of Israel went up in battle array from the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall bring up my bones from here with you. And they, uh, then they set out from Succoth and camped at Etom on the edge of the wilderness. And Yahweh was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to guide them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might go by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of the fire by night from before 
the people. So uh, first thing we see in our headings uh, this morning, big picture, is that Israel departs Egypt. They depart Egypt. Uh, as they depart Egypt, uh, to return to the mountain of God in Midian, where God appeared to Moses, there's a few details that we see here that we want to point out to set the context. And first is just the brief description of the route that they take. That, or maybe we should say, didn't take. The route they didn't take. Uh, the quickest way out of Egypt would have been well, to go by way of the, the sea, the, the way of the Philistines. This would be the Via Maris to the Romans. It was the way of Horus to the Egyptians. It's just this ancient road that runs along the coast from Egypt to Israel, to the Promised Land. And if they had taken that route to the Promised Land, they would have been there in two weeks or less. Okay? Instead of what? 40 years, right? big difference. But that's not God's plan. He's not merely just interested in getting them from point A to point B as fast as possible. Um, one reason he didn't want them to go that route directly into Canaan uh, is because there is enemy outposts all along this route. And God says if they see war, they're going to turn back. You know, they, they, they would experience intense opposition and it would, they would be demoralized and it would, they would change their minds. And also, you have to think about who is traveling here. Um, you've got a bunch of, uh, these, well, let's first say these aren't a bunch of ready-made soldiers here. Uh, these are guys who've never learned war yet. I mean, they've been slaves. They've been subjected to slavery. They're, they're worn out. They're weary Slaves, you've got the elderly traveling with them, you've got the pregnant women, the children, you've got the handicapped, all of them coming out of Egypt, and not just like that, they've got all their flocks, they've got all their possessions, and they even have Joseph's bones, right? So this is not a battle ready, this is not a battle hardened bunch. <laughs> this is anybody who's everybody in Israel. However, you'll notice that they are in battle formation, it says. Uh, they're in a battle formation because, for one, uh, I think that that's, they just they want to travel in an organized fashion. Remember, where did they learn this battle formation, by the way? Moses, right? Because Moses used to lead the Egyptian army. But, um, and apparently he was victorious in some battles, too, and made a name for himself. But uh, proceeding in a battle formation is going to help... Uh, help them proceed rapidly to where they need to get, right? Uh, less chaos, more order, more organization helps you travel faster. Um, they probably thought it might intimidate some of their enemies traveling in that, in that way. And then it would also offer some protection, I think, in case of an attack. Um, but the, the imagery being painted, though, is, is sure that, uh, that this is like army against army. You've got uh, God's army versus Pharaoh's army. And so... Pretty neat uh, imagery we see painted here for us. You also notice, or you, or you have noticed, that there's a lot of debates over the exact route of the Exodus. I mean, just uh, a lot of really passionate debate over the route of the Exodus. And, and this is because just a lot of these places that are named here, uh, they just aren't around anymore. You know, the topography's changed or they've eroded. Remember, like, uh, mud brick structures they were, they were building? Yeah, well... Mud brick doesn't hold up very well to the elements. Um, it erodes over time. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time on the precise locations, 
But um, if you do want an, an educating and entertaining uh, documentary type thing on the route of the Exodus, I, I recommend uh, Patterns of Evidence, the Exodus, or the Red Sea Miracle, part one and two. And there's a really, really boring long video with a guy named Glenn Fritz. That's the best one, okay? A really long and boring one. But um, I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, so anyway, uh, one of the locations I think is fairly certain is Midian. Like we know where Midian was. It, it was in the Arabian Peninsula on the east side of the Gulf of Aqaba. Um, that little finger that kind of jets off of the, the Red Sea there. The Jews called that Aqaba, the Gulf of Aqaba, Yam Suf, or the Red Sea. This was where their uh, territory used to uh, end, the territory of Israel. And uh, they probably took uh, that Darb el Hajj route uh, across the Sinai Peninsula, a trading route. Um, you can see in this picture here how the, you know, the, sorry, way down here, but how Israel's territory ends at the Gulf of Aqaba or Yom Suf. And there's the trading routes that come across here. Um, but uh, that's probably where they're heading, right? Midian, east side of the Gulf of Aqaba. And uh, the text says, as they go out, they're celebrating. Um, they're going out boldly. Verse 8 of chapter 14 says, they're going out with a high hand. Right? That's like an exalted hand of praise. They're praising God as they go out. And uh, we should note that they have a remarkable GPS system uh, before technology. It's a God positioning system. God appears to them and leads them and guides them through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So he's providing shade out in the... And this is something God does for 40 years, day and night for them, from the time they leave to the time they get to uh, the promised land. And it's a cloud by day, providing shade, no doubt, and a fire by night, providing light. And, sign, and the Bible doesn't say this, but I also like to think, well... Deserts get pretty cold at night. Maybe it's providing some warmth for them as well. And, and the Bible says their, their sandals, their clothes didn't wear out while they were in the wilderness this whole time. So um, it's pretty neat. But uh, the text says it was the Lord, it was the angel of God who was in this cloud. And I understand that uh, theophany, uh, which is like a, just an expression of God's uh, you know, appearance of God or whatever. But it, I, I understand it to be similar to the burning bush, right? Uh, the angel of the Lord was in the burning bush. And who is that? That's Christ. That's Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, before he became flesh. Uh, so I understand him to be personally leading them. But um, uh, more verses in your notes to look up if you want to. But um, the second heading we see is that Israel gets trapped by the sea. Look at uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, so that they turn back and camp before Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it, by the sea. And Pharaoh will say to the sons of Israel, They are wandering in confusion in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. So thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, with strength, and he will pursue them, and I will be glorified through Pharaoh and all his armies, so that the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. And they did so. Okay, so the Lord guides them to Etam on the edge of the wilderness. Um, verse 
20 says this, and presumably the edge of what wilderness? The, the Midian wilderness. Um, and uh, if this place uh, was near the northern shore of the Gulf of Aqaba, where a lot of people think it is, I mean, this the only logical thing to do at this point is to just, you know, round that little corner there, right? You just have to go around the Gulf of Aqaba and go right down into Midian, and you're there, right? They're right there. But instead, the Lord tells them, turn back, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> turn back and camp on the west side of the sea, which makes zero sense, Okay? For one, it, it's taking them the wrong direction. Two, it's placing them in a really vulnerable, helpless position right? where, where you don't want to be. And if this is you know, Nueva Beach, as, as some people propose, or a beach like it on the edge of the sea, I mean, God is positioning them between the mountains and the sea, and there's no escape routes because those, those mountains hug that, that coastline it's really tight. You can't go anywhere. Uh, and there's just a little entrance to get you in there, right? A scrawny, like, cavity, canyon. Uh, and and that's, that's where they end up. But uh, this was like walking into a trap. Uh, but it's exactly what the Lord wants, because he's going to entice the Egyptians this way. And, and when the Egyptian scouts see this, uh, Egypt, the Egyptian army has scouts watching Israel as they leave, uh, and they see them heading down into an area of the Sinai Peninsula, right? It's a point. You can't go anywhere <laughs> down there. And he says, look, they're shut in by the wilderness. They don't even know where they're going, right? So uh, he takes on after him. Verse 5, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, uh, was told that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done? We've let Israel go from serving us. And so he made his chariot ready, and he took his people with him, and he took 600 choice chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Wow, right? And Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, with strength, and he pursued the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out with an exalted hand. And then the Egyptians pursued them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. So uh, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. He chases after Israel. And you have to, guys, put this in your minds. This is the most powerful army in the world at the time. It is trained. It is lethal. I mean, it is precise. It is a rapid strike army, right? They did not mess around. Egypt's army is in its golden age. And when they hit, they hit powerfully. They hit fast. And because of that, they were known for being a little reckless, kind of like Pharaoh, and it's going to get him in trouble here. Look at verse 10. Pharaoh drew near, uh, and the sons of Israel lifted up their eyes. Hey, where did they lift up their eyes? Where did they look? To the Egyptians. Behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became afraid. And so the sons of Israel cried to Yahweh, and they said to Moses, Is it because there was no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What is this you have done against us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians? <laughs> right? They'd rather be safe 
slaves than free men, right? What a danger for any culture, though, huh? Uh, For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than for us to die in the wilderness. So, look, Israel lifts up their eyes. They're at the edge of the sea. They see the Egyptians hot on their tail. You can picture the dust from the chariots rising on the horizon and and they're you know they're they're coming at them and you know it's like the flick of a switch and Israel goes from this bold exalted hand into now what right that fear they're just fearful they've gone from like just this oh super high to just super low right from boldness to fear and at first it says they cry out to God um, the sons, sons of Israel cried out to Yahweh, but it's like immediately, instead of waiting in faith to see how God responds when there's no immediate relief, they, they look to Moses, they blame the preacher, right? They start blaming Moses. And how quickly they've forgotten their misery in Egypt as slaves. I mean, they were dying as slaves. They, they've forgotten the power of God in the ten plagues already, but... Uh, this, is, this is why they are here. Uh, this moment is why they're here, because God is testing them in regard to their faith. And he's teaching them to depend on him. Actually, man, uh, Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, Yahweh your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, test you and to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not this is like a humbling trying testing time and god's revealing himself to them and man my i i can't think of how much they would love to have this moment back in their lives and instead of crying and complaining they would have exercised faith and said something like let's see what god's gonna do here wouldn't you love to have some moments back like that, here crying and complaining, and, and, and man, it just was not glorifying at all. It was not faith. But let's keep going on. Verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not fear. Do not fear. It's a command. Don't be afraid. Stand by and see the salvation of Yahweh which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you'll never see them again forever. Yahweh will fight for you, and you will keep silent. (laughs) I love that. I love that. That's one of the most important verses in the book of Exodus, right? We've said it many times, but Israel is not going to deliver themselves from, uh, from the Egyptians through their own Uh, cleverness you know through their own ingenuity uh egypt's not going to let israel go because israel or egypt's just so generous and so kind it's you know they're they're not going to be free from the egyptians because moses just has some seriously superior leadership skills and he can just lead everybody you know it's not like that this it's only yahweh the that covenant-making, promise-keeping, self-existent, self-sufficient, all-powerful, never-trapped God who delivers them. It has nothing to do with man. 
all to do with God. God's power alone delivers Israel. And Moses does well here, don't you think, by pointing the people to the Lord who can deliver them. He's pointing them to the Lord. And he basically says, you just stand there. (laughs) Right? Don't even fight. Don't complain. Don't start carving your staffs into spears. Don't even cry out. Don't do anything other than position yourself to see God work. You get a nice view and watch God do his thing. Isn't this amazing? Just have faith in Yahweh. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? Put yourself in their shoes. What are you going to do? You're powerless. You're helpless. Just stand back and watch God work. That's what you do. This is a battle for him to fight. Verse 15, Yahweh said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Right? I think he's talking about the people crying out to him. He says, speak to the sons of Israel so that they go forward, right? Position themselves. As for you, raise up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and split it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I'll harden the hearts of Egypt, the Egyptians with strength so that they will go in after them, and I'll be glorified. Through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I'm glorified through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. And then the angel of God, my understanding, that's Jesus Christ, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. And so it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a cloud uh, there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. So your, Yahweh, uh, he sort of reprimands the people here for their lack of faith. They've forgotten who he is. And uh, I guess we could say they've, they've, they're letting what they see cloud what they know. It's a huge principle I want us to take home today. They're letting what they see, right? The Egyptians come and cloud what they know about God. And it's at this point that the presence of God moves from before them to behind them, and he becomes their rear guard, and he doesn't let the Egyptians touch Israel all night long, and he dries out the land for them to walk on through a wind, a mighty wind. But here we see God defeats Egypt Um, Main heading number three in your outline. God defeats Egypt. Verse 21, Moses then stretched out his hand over the sea and Yahweh swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea into dry ground. So the waters were split. And so the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses And his chariots and his horsemen went in after them in the midst of the sea. And then at the morning watch, at the morning watch, when their sun god Ra was rising in the east, who was helpless, Yahweh looked down on the camp of the Egyptians. Where's Yahweh looking from? Above, right? He's looking down on the Egyptians through the pillar 
of fire and cloud and brought the camp of the Egyptians into confusion and he caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for Yahweh is fighting for them against the Egyptians. And so Israel passes through the sea with a wall of water on both sides. And again, these are, these are deep waters. The Bible calls them deep waters, mighty waters. It's not a shallow lake like you sometimes see in the maps in the back of your Bibles. And as some people like to say, it was only 18 inches deep. Well, if I guess if it's 18 inches deep, that's quite some miracle too, right? But uh, it's deep waters here we're looking at. And, and the details reveal that this is unexplainable by natural causes. Unexplainable. And when Israel is out of the sea and the Egyptian army is in the midst of the sea, they find that they are the ones trapped. Egyptians find themselves trapped and it's not Israel. And Yahweh looks down and he fights against them. And at daybreak, Moses uses the staff of God to close the waters over the Egyptians. And verse 30 says, Thus Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. See that? Now what are they seeing? They've seen God work, huh? And Israel saw the great hand which Yahweh had used against the Egyptians. And the people feared Yahweh. And they believed in Yahweh and in his servant Moses. So um, last week we talked a lot about judgment and mercy, that whole concept and how God is glorified through, through all of this. And that's really the main thing. That's what the Bible's so, like, the main point of the Bible. It's not a love letter of redemption. It is a, it's a Bible that glorifies God. That's the main message of the Bible. God gets the glory. Um, that's the main thing. That's the main thing here. But uh, we made a big point of that last week. And so I just want to focus on how, on, uh, how these, this sobering event teaches us uh, a few principles when it comes to some of the precarious predicaments that we find ourselves in, and we could call them the Red Sea moments in our lives, you know, when you are hemmed in. And, and number one, I want us to note how God always knows which way is best. Do you believe that? God always knows which way is best. The quickest way is not always the best way. We saw that. God doesn't always lead us down the easiest path as much as we would want him to, and that's because he has sovereign purposes in our lives. He's making saints out of us. And that means that the easiest path is not always the best path. Uh, even when we don't understand it. You know, uh, I think it was Scott Mathis posted something yesterday. He said, with God there's mysteries, but there's never mistakes. Mysteries, but never mistakes. See, God's GPS system, do you think he's taking them in the wrong direction? No. He's not Siri. He won't lead you <laughs> to take a wrong turn or go down the wrong road. He's not Siri. He doesn't make wrong turns. He doesn't make miscalculations in your life. He might make us backtrack and take us down a dead end. He might place us in a position where we have no way out. He might take us through deep waters. But you know what? His directions are always right, aren't they? They're always best. They're always good. Genesis 50-20, Romans 8-28, the Genesis 50-20 of the New Testament. Look them up. He causes all things to work for the good of those who love God. Second, following the Lord increases your enemies. 
Uh, Israel has enemies coming after them as they follow God. And if we follow God faithfully, it will not eliminate our enemies and our critics. It will only multiply them. You want to follow the Lord, you will multiply your enemies. People will get nasty with you. And you can't let it discourage you and keep you from doing what God's called you to do. You expect opposition when you follow the Lord. And remember, there's a spiritual element going on here that, that uh, it's not just Pharaoh versus Moses. This is the spiritual dark battle taking place here. There's real dark powers behind Pharaoh and his army and all of that. So, um, let's see what else here. Uh, sometimes waiting is the way of obedience. That's another good principle in your Red Sea moment. Right, you see... When we get backed into a corner, what do we want to do? We want to get the axe out. We want to sharpen our spears. We want to fight. We want to, we want to flee. We want to blame others. We want to tell everybody how awful our situation is. But we want to whine. We want to complain. We want to play the victim. We want to play the martyr. Walk around as you know, a martyr mentality. And, and when you're in a tough situation, guys, I'm not saying you're not going to weep. I'm not saying you're not going to lament because life is hard. But there are times when God calls us to do the exact opposite he told them not to cry out to him he said wait right be silent and watch him work basically what have faith have faith in him that he can get you out of this situation you know if Yahweh reprimanded them for a lack of faith because they were crying there's moments where it's just not right. And you need to exercise faith. You know, that's hard. It's hard when the emotions are high. It's hard when we feel threatened. But sometimes it's just the right thing to do. Because there's some battles that he just has to fight for you while you wait and watch him work. Because he's revealing himself to you. Hey, Red Sea's open and close in his timing. Uh, number four is that the Lord is our guide and our guard uh, that's pretty obvious you know from the pillar of cloud you know jesus said he he'll never leave us he'll never forsake us right he's with us to the end of the age he's always going to guide us you never take a step alone without the lord and then he's he's going to guard you too and i'm not saying that uh, as a believer that you can just be expected it can be expected that he'll protect you from everything harmful it doesn't work that way right um i am saying though that there is a very real element of protection that our all-powerful, all-knowing Yahweh provides for us through his presence. God does protect you. He has, he has angels, too, that he uses, right? Um, expect him to guard you until it's time for you to go home. And number five, lastly, the dead ends force us to look up in faith. Dead ends force us to look up in faith. And that's the big principle to close with. That's the big purpose. Sometimes this is, guys, God will intentionally lead you, allow you to a, go down a dead-end road. A place where you are bound to lose no matter what you do because he wants to bring you to an end of yourself so that you will look to him for deliverance. There's always a divine intention 
No matter what road you go down in life, it's, it's a time of testing, it's a time of teaching, it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to see God work and for him to glorify himself, you know, to reveal his Yahweh-ness to us. You ever thought about that? God, I cannot do this alone. I cannot, I, I'm helpless, I'm powerless. God says, good. You're right where I want you. And now you're going to see me work. So just let go. You can quit fighting now, right? This is what I appreciate about Moses this morning. You want to learn from Moses this morning? Get this. Um, He teaches us to point people to the Lord who can deliver them. Hebrews 11.29 says, By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. And you know, I think the biggest precarious predicament that we have in life, you know what it is, right? What this is all pointing to, this big picture, it's, it's sin. You know, like it is a predicament that we cannot get out of on our own. The penalty for sin is death. We, should, we are no better than the Egyptians. We should be where the Egyptians are. And you can't get out of that. You can't get out from sin on your own. You can't do it. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't give enough money to the church to get out of your sin. You know what I'm saying? Like You cannot do this on your own. It's a battle you cannot win on your own. Exodus is teaching us that you only get out of that battle with sin through faith in what Jesus Christ has done. That's the only way. You trust in what he's done for you. That's how you get out of sin's penalty. How do you get out of its power over your life? One of the precarious predicaments you get into is sometimes your own fault because you you got these addictions, right? And I've talked to countless people who have, it seems like countless people who have addictions and they can't break them and they can't break them and they try and they go to counseling and then they, you know, they revert and they go to counseling. They go, whatever, you know, and it's like, dude, sorry, is it just you? Is it just you trying to quit your addictions? Or are you relying on the Lord to break that addiction? You know, it's only by His Spirit at work in you that you can walk by the Spirit and overcome the desires of the flesh, the sin nature. So we rely totally upon the Lord for deliverance from sin's penalty, from sin's power in our lives we walk by faith, and from sin forever. I can't wait for God to come and get us and glorify us. And give us glorified bodies, right? We're just sitting here waiting on him, right? For him to come and get us. And deliver us from sin forever. Nothing we can do about that. We can't usher in Jesus' return. We're just sitting here waiting for him to come back, right? And it's by faith that we're going to wait. Because he's good and we trust his timing. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, Man, the Exodus has taught us so much about you and who you are and how good you are and how powerful you are. We're thankful for the, for the Exodus and the, the Exodus that you accomplished for the Hebrew people. That is magnificent, Lord, but we're thankful for what it teaches us today. That, uh, 
you can deliver us from the exodus uh, that we need from our sins through the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for um, his work, his redemption, uh, paying the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to be slaves to sin, Lord, and help us not to want to go back to that life of slavery to sin, but help us to walk by your spirit, help us to walk in faith, obedience, um, just following you. Lord, and we look to the deliverance that you're going to accomplish for us in our lives. Um, help us to be also just men like Moses who will point people to the one who can actually do something about their sin problem. And uh, trust that you've been glorified here this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.